today and as we pray and lift up this service before him today. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as one as an armed man. Solomon here writes as God lays it on his heart. I believe it is a call today to the church. I believe it's a call to everybody that calls God their God. Spirit here says, how long will you sleep? How long will you slumber? How long will you just fold your hands and just take a sabbatical? The call is going out to the church to wake up, to get up, to trust the Lord, and not to use the Lord as a means of welfare. Amen? But as a powerful, loving, kind, generous God who takes care of those who take care of themselves. So I want you to help me to pray today for this message. It's God laid it on my heart. I think it's going to be a powerful message for us if we'll allow it to get into our hearts. If we'll not kick against it, but just let God minister to you, I think it'll be a blessing to you. So let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we boldly approach your throne today, God, as we come before you in prayer, seeking God your blessing, your anointing, Father, we pray that you would continue, Lord, to just pour your spirit out upon each one of us that are here today. God, each one of us who have gotten up today, Lord, and took our time, sacrificed our time to be with you. I pray, Father, that, Lord, as we look into your word, that you would just reveal to us the things that you want us to see. Each one of us, God, are in different places in our lives. Each one of us are in different levels with you, Lord. Some have just started out with you, God, just hadn't been saved for just a few days, a few weeks, a few months, maybe a few years. Some, God, have been serving you for half their lives, and some, God, have been serving you for most of their lives. I just pray, Lord, that something that is said today would bless each, each area, each person, God, in the situation that they may be facing. I know, Lord, we've said it many times, that people don't come to church they don't watch live on Facebook. They don't get on Zoom meetings, house party meetings. They don't, they don't attend these studies by chance or circumstance. God, every single person under the sound of our voices here today were meant to hear this word. And I pray, God, that you would keep every single person right where they are. Help nobody, God, to be distracted today. Help nobody, God, to find a way to leave their living rooms or leave the sanctuary, God, or leave their bedrooms, wherever they may be. Help them to stay attentive. Help nobody to turn down the volume. But, God, I pray that you would raise the volume through the power and the strength and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, Lord, and pour into us what you would have us to receive today. And help us, God, to return thanks to you because we know that whatever that you intended for us to get today is intended not to harm us, but it's intended to bless us, to grow us, and to move us forward in your plan. 
So again, God, we thank you for your presence and the opportunity to be here. May your anointing and your blessing continue to flow throughout this entire day. And all God's children said, amen, amen, amen. Yeah, give God a hand clap of praise. Amen, amen. If you would, give our praise team a hand as well, amen. Appreciate them. They're so awesome. They're so awesome. Amen. We are blessed, blessed beyond measure to have Brother Ray Covan and Brother Garfield and Brother Damien and Sister Noel and Brother Chad and Brother Nathan and Sister Katie and, and Brother Jared and, and Sister Heather and Brother Danny and Brother Kevin and Brother Keith and these that help us uh, in our worship with our worship team uh, and all of our social media. Sister Veronica helps with that as well and so many. So we're blessed beyond measure in this church to have some, some wonderful worship leaders. Amen. Or as Brother Garfield likes to say, lead worshipers. Amen. Uh, we're blessed to have every single one of them. And I think we take them for granted a lot of times. So when you see one of them, if you would, give them a great big hug. I don't care if it is COVID-19 season or not. Give them a great big hug and tell them you appreciate them because they do it all voluntarily. And, and again, we just appreciate them so, so much. I want to give a shout out today if I can. Every time I say that word, it takes me back to the Church of God of Prophecy. There's only a handful of us to understand what I just said. Amen. And I know you're laughing. I know you are right now. Veronica and Joel, I know you are. Christy, I know you are. Noel, I know you are. Nathan, I know there's a handful of you know what I just said. But I do want to give a shout out today. Uh, I don't even know if they're watching. I'm sure that they're at their own church. But I know they'll go back and watch this because I do know they go back and watch our services. To Brother Bobby and Sister Willa Mae Powell. Today, they have been married 62 years. 62 years. Is that not awesome? Amen. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And that is a, uh, that is, that should be a testimony and a blessing to those of us uh, who are married today and think there's no way I'm going to live with this person another 62 seconds. Amen. It can be done. And we just need to talk to Brother Bobby and Sister Willa May and uh, ask them how that's done. I'm sure knowing them, they're good Christian people, they're going to tell you the first thing you need to do is make sure you got God in the middle of what you're doing. Amen. Uh, and make sure that you're pouring your love out to each other and, uh, and not focusing on other things, but focus on each other. Amen. All right, so our message today, I told Brother Keith, he kind of gave you all a little heads up on this, and I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. And when I told him the title of this message, he just kind of looked at me and said, oh, my way, you know. <laughs> In his spirit, I think I saw him start to pray. He was either that or pass out, one of the two, and I wasn't sure which one it was. But it's, it's not that bad. It's just simply entitled, Welfare Jesus. Welfare Jesus. And I'm going to explain that. So when I was a little boy, I was growing up, and, and I always wanted a car of my own. Everybody always did, right, no matter who you were. When it became time for you to, about to get ready to start to drive around 15, actually probably 13, 14, you started thinking about it. And I was no different. And um, so, you know, I, I turned 15, and, and I told my dad, I said, look, I need a car so I can drive. And so he let me dr start driving his little pickup truck to begin with, but it wasn't my own car. Uh, he had a 1976 um, Cutlass S Oldsmobile. They don't even make Oldsmobile anymore. But it was Oldsmobile Cutlass S, 1976. I've told you all this before. Uh, Two-door hardtop, half hardtop, and, and uh, half vinyl top. And uh, had a 350 motor in it with a quadrajet uh, carburetor. And it was just a bad machine. And, uh, but it needed a lot of work. So the first car that my dad gave me was that car. And um, he handed the keys to me and said, it's yours. And I thought, well, that's a wonderful thing. And then I started paying attention to everything that had to be done to it. And I thought to myself, you know, all my buddies at school were getting all these brand new cars and all these new, nice new things. And I'm thinking, 
well, I mean, why are you giving me this one? I'm thankful I got it, but, you know, can you not fix it up for me before you give it to me? And uh, so I asked my dad that question. I'm thinking, you know, when are you going to get it painted? When are you going to fix that vinyl top? You know, it needs a new radio. It's got to have new tires. It needs a new carpet inside. I mean, basically, the shell was good and the powertrain was good, the motor and transmission. Everything else don't need some work. So I asked my dad about it, and he just kind of looked at me funny, and he said, Son, he said, if I give you something, and I always just give to you all your life, you're never going to appreciate anything. He said, if I give you that car completely restored and you got nothing invested in it, you ain't gonna, you're not going to appreciate it and you're going to tear it up and I'm going to have to just continue to keep fixing it. But if you have to work to have it fixed up, if you have to put your time and your money and your energy, if you've got to get up and do something yourself, then you're going to appreciate that vehicle more than, I, than you would if I gave it to you. You will take care of it because you got something invested in it. That's what he said to me. Now, my first thought was, what a hateful old man. I'm going to be honest with you. I thought, gosh, these other kids didn't have to do all that. What do you mean? I got to go to work and make money and pay for that, and I want to put that money toward something I want to put it towards. And I thought, that's awful hateful of you. And I kind of resented my dad for a little while on that, and I kind of rebelled, and I didn't do anything to the car for the longest time, and he didn't either, so I thought, well... I guess he ain't going to do nothing. If I'm going to do it, I better get to work and get to doing it. So long story short, I did work for it. And my, the first loan I ever took out, I took out a little personal loan and I did it just, my dad said it'd be good for you to do it, uh, to get you some credit established. And I did. And, and um, I took that little personal loan out. We fixed the car up, got it in good shape, and it was completely restored uh, when I gave it back to my dad. But um, I did appreciate it more. I can tell you that. Um, he was 100% right. In fact, uh, I washed that car probably more than I washed any car. Uh, I kept it completely clean more than any vehicle I've ever had since that time and uh, hurt my feelings to give it back to my dad. I really, I really wanted to hold on to it. He didn't ask for it back, but I just thought it was a good gesture since he gave the car to me to begin with. And there's another side of the story I've told you all. We want to get into that because it hurts my feelings. I don't even want to talk about it. Uh, but anyway, uh, I did give the car back to him. But my point here today is, you know, my dad could have very easily... Um, done that for me. He, he had the finances to be able to do it, but he taught me a valuable lesson, and it caused me to, to dig down deep within myself, and I saw some things. I saw some achievement. I saw uh, I had a lot of pride in what I had done, and, um, and it helped me move forward in my life. Um, today, um, I can tell you, as, I, as long as I've been in the ministry, I, it's saddening to me when I look and I watch people's lives, and people's lives are very similar to, to what I just told you with my dad in this vehicle, in the spiritual sense. Um, I run into people all the time because I'm a minister that come to me and, and they ask me for, for things and they ask me to pray for certain things and help them and, and they give me their situations and that's good, that's why we're here and I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I'm about to say because I, I want you to come to myself or Pastor Keith or leadership in our church to talk to us and we can help you pray and we can, we can help reach out to God on your behalf. But that being said... A lot of times what I see people doing is there's no action behind their words. What I see sometimes, I hear people um, talking to me and, and tears in their eyes and pain and hurt in their hearts for their situation, but they, they lack the motivation or the courage or the want to, to get up and do their part. And uh, they just expect God as they lay in their beds or lay on their chairs or in their couches or or, or, or wherever they are, they just lay there and expect God to just come down and do miraculous things for them without them doing anything themselves. And uh, this passage of Scripture in Proverbs here, 
um, teaches us that we don't have time to do that, right? Jesus, God, is not a welfare check. He's not, you know, God's not the unemployment line. He's not a handout, right? God is not a handout. God is a hand up, amen? Did you hear what I said? God is not a hand out. He is a hand up. It's, in, it's, it's important for us to understand the Bible teaches us that a man that won't work is like an infidel, and that means a sinner. So if you don't do anything to provide for yourself or for your family, God sees you and I as somebody that's just a rank sinner, that just does not care, that does not provide, that does not love his family, does not love himself, and does not love ultimately God, because the two greatest commandments fit in that, right? If, if I loved myself, I would do all I could for myself, right? And now I understand there's people that have limitations based upon their health and their mental state and different things. I understand that. But I think everybody can do something. Amen. Everybody can do something to help themselves rather than just relying on somebody to do everything for them and especially just relying on God to do something for you. See, the world that you and I live in today has turned into a, well, let's just give it to them world, right? In fact, some people during this coronavirus that we're faced with today you know, the government assistance, I want to use that word, assistance, right? That does not mean government doing it all. It means assistance, okay? Help, help, a hand up. But with the government assistance and with what the government already offered, there are some people that can leave work and make more money staying out of work than they do going to work, amen? And I have heard some people. Now, if you're one of them people, I love you, and I don't know it. Nobody's told me, Okay? But if you're one of the people, I'm going to give you Mark's opinion on that. Here's how Mark would handle that. I was raised differently, and even though I can make more money staying out of work than I could being at work, I'm going to go to work, okay? Because God requires that of me. He requires that of me, okay? Why take advantage of something that's meant to help when I can help myself? So that's what I want to talk to you about today. So the church is no different, okay? So... The church, when you look around at the church today, churches around the world, the church has kind of fallen into that as well, right? We, we just want to sit back, and I've heard, I've heard ministers say this. I've heard uh, leadership of the church say this. I've heard people just, laity of the church, right, say this very same thing multiple times in my ministry. Well, if God don't bring them, they ain't going to come, right? I've heard that said in meetings with, with uh, deacons, I've heard it said in meetings with, with um, board of directors, I've heard it said in meetings with our finance committees, I've heard it said in meetings with leadership of the church. I have heard people stand and say that there's no sense in us doing anything because if God don't bring them, it does not matter, right? God will fill the house. Man can't fill the house. Now, I get that and I understand that. But what do you do with the scripture that tells us to go ye into all the world and teach all nations? What do you do with the passage that says, go out in the highways and hedges and compel them to come? Amen. What do you, what do, you do with those? What do, what do you do with those scriptures where God tells us he commissioned, right, those 12. He commissioned the apostles and the disciples and he commissions all of us to go out and to, and to, and to, and to call people to him. Okay, so if God intended for us just to sit here and just wait on people to come, then his word would be contradictory to what he tells us elsewhere in his word okay so for some reason the church feels like all we have to do is open the doors all we got to do is say a prayer or two all we got to do is sing a song or two and preach the word and they're going to come 
Well, he did say, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them in unto me. But he didn't just mean in this building. Amen? Churches, if, if some of you watching that go to other churches, listen to me. God did not mean with that passage that if we just come in the house of God and praise and sing his name and lift up his name in church, that people would come. When he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them in unto me, you and I don't forget all the temple of God. And wherever we go, God's with us. So if we lift God up everywhere we go, he's going to draw people to him. Amen? You see what I'm saying? It's not just about the building, but churches have got in that same routine as I was in with my dad with that vehicle, as some people are today with just laying around, just talking to God and saying, Lord, bless me. The churches have done the same thing. Lord, I don't know if we're going to have enough money to pay the power bills, but bless us, God. Amen? And yet they do nothing else about it. Right? People, some people have money in their bank accounts in churches, and instead of using that money to go out and, and invest in their communities, they sit in those meetings and they say to themselves, we can't afford to go out there right, and use this money to, uh, to spend for a fall festival. We can't, we can't afford uh, right, to go out there and spend money to go help at the, at the homeless shelter. We can't afford to take money and send them youth to, to, to uh, youth retreat. We can't afford to spend money to go out there and put a billboard up that says, come to Gethsemane Church in Hodges and give them the directions to get here. We can't afford to do those things, preacher, because you know we don't have a lot of money left. And if we spend that money now, we're not going to be able to, to keep the church doors open. We can't afford to do that. Listen to me. Churches, again, if you go to another church and, 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 and this is your church, you can't afford not to do that. Amen? People say we can't afford to do it, but you can't afford not to do it. The only way for God to give back and to multiply is for us to give it out. Amen? He said, give and it shall come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, right? You can't sit there with your money that tight in your hands. You say, I got it. It ain't going to go nowhere. Well, that's true, but you also can't put nothing in it if your hand is closed like that, right? You got to open your hand and release it in order to get it, okay? But churches, we want to sit back and we're just going to, oh, God, right? Oh, God, I need some help here, Lord. Lord, send us money. Lord, send us money. Lord, send us some help, right? But God's simply saying, I'll send it if you'll go. Is that right? I'll send it if you will go. Last I checked, he said to Isaiah, who will go? Amen? Who will go? God's asking who will go. All he needs is people to go, and he'll come back. So, see, God's not a welfare God. You can't sit back and wait on God to fill your church pews. We can't sit here at Gethsemane and think that all we got to do is sit back and let God fill them, right? I've had this statement said to them, move into the message. But I want you to get a clear picture of what I'm talking about, about this welfare Jesus, okay? I've heard people say this in churches. Why would we want to go and spend money to make this building better or this building bigger when we can't fill the one we got? You ever heard that? Why would we want to go out and spend money to make this building look better than what it is or make it bigger than what it is when we can't fill the one we got? I think what we need to do is fill this one first and then we'll go out and make it better and make it bigger once we fill this one. Well, I get that, okay? But there's no faith in that. That's factual. That's what that is. Show me the people first, God, and then I will. You show me first and then I will. It don't work that way with God. Amen? I've said this before, Noah. Could you imagine Noah saying to God, put all the animals out here first, get them all out here, let me see them. Show me some rain first and then I'll build the ark. But that ain't what he did. He said, you build the ark first and then I will send the animals and then I'll send the rain. 
The reason he said that was is because he knew that it took great faith. It doesn't take faith when it's done the other way around. Okay? So step out on faith and watch God bless. That's what I'm saying. Okay? My, my father was saying to me, Mark, you step out on faith and then watch what happens. Okay? Physically and spiritually speaking. Same way Jesus is simply saying to the church, to us as individuals, you step out on faith and trust me and then I'll bless Churches, step out on faith and trust me, and then I will bless. That's what faith is, right? That unseen, right? That unseen, and then the evidence of what happens next, okay? You see something at that point. We want to turn God around and make him like we are. We want him to think like we think instead of acting or thinking the way he thinks, okay? So let's look at it today. If you got your Bibles, want to go to John's Gospel, chapter 5. John, chapter 5. We're going to read verse 2 through 9. I don't have my glasses here, so y'all pray for me and bear with me here. I left them in the car. Welfare Jesus. Amen. Amen. Look here. The Bible says, Now there is at Jerusalem by the, uh, by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Beth, uh, the pool of Bethesda. Having five porches is what the meaning of Bethesda is. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. At this place in Jerusalem, by the sheep's gate. Okay? Why at the sheep's gate? Because the shepherd comes through the sheep's gate. Amen? Here they are at the sheep's gate, where the shepherd would come in with the sheep. They're laying here, awaiting, right, the shepherd. At the five pools of Bethesda teaches you and I that there's a multitude of people here. A lot of folks that are laying beside the sheep's gate, impotent, blind, halt, right? These folks are in, they're just in sad condition. As Nate said when he was a little boy, he had some surgery. We were talking about it this week. He had some surgery on his little tonsils and his little throat here. And, and uh, when the surgery was over, the nurse came in and she said, uh, everything went good. He's looking for his dad. And I was thinking, what? Because he always wanted his mama. Both my kids, when they're sick, I thought, well. So I got real prideful and got up. And I said, mm-hmm. So I went back there, and I walked in. Old Nate's sitting there, squalling. I went over, picked him up, and sat down, and rocked him in a rocking chair. He had all kind of stuff sticking out all over him, you know, from uh, the surgery. And he looked at me, and he said, Dad, I'm in bad condition. <laughs> he was about two years old. He said, Dad, I'm in bad condition. I need you to break me out of here. That's what he said. That's why he wanted his dad. He figured I'd break him out and get out of there because his mama wouldn't do it. But he was in bad condition. Well, here these people were in bad condition, laying at the sheep's gate. What a sad scenario. What a sad picture. Can you, can you paint that picture in your mind? Close your eyes just a minute and paint that picture. Pastor Keith and I and any of you who's been to Israel can paint this picture a little bit better than others. But that sheep's gate is a big gate. This thing is huge. These gates that they come through are, are massive gates, about as wide as our sanctuary right here. And so here they were, just inside the sheep's gate, right here at the pool of Bethesda, these five porches, meaning it had five different, different pool areas there where they were around this pool, different areas that people could sit, five areas, just full of people, just all around or just tons of them. And they were just halt and blind, and, 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 and they were just um, withered away, the Bible says, just, go, just withering to nothing. What a sad commentary that Jesus must have saw when he walked in here in just a few minutes when you see it. And I'm, I'm afraid to say today, guys, it's the same scenario in a lot of people's lives and in a lot of our churches. Um, 
it's the same state that Jesus sees. He looks down at, at, a, at a group of people. He looks at his people or he looks at the entire church as a whole. And he looks out there and he sees that they're blind. They have no, no vision, right? And, and they're halt, meaning they've just stopped. They just, there's no motion. They're, the vitality has gone away, right? And, and they're just not doing anything and, and to the point that they've just withered away. You, you ever been a member of a church or you might be a member of a church today uh, that, that fits this bill? I've been a part of that one time before where the church, you look at the church that you used to know as a vibrant, lively church. Hundreds of people attending the church. And now there's 10 or 15 in the same building that used to house hundreds of people, right? Withered away. They just, they're withered away. They've, 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 just, they've just dwindled down to hardly nothing. And the ones that are left are about the same way. They're just kind of withering away, spiritually speaking. They're just pining away, just waiting on a move of God. Amen, somebody. We're just sitting here waiting on you to move, God. Amen. How many of you have ever done that? <clears throat> People just sit, sit in, their little, in their little pity parties. I've done it. And you're sitting in your own tears, right? You got your own little pool of Bethesda going on from your tears. And we're just, we're just standing there, right? And we got our eyes closed, so we have no vision. We're just, oh, God, you know, oh, God. So we've, we have no vision, and we're halt. Our vitality has gone away, meaning we have no energy whatsoever. We have no courage left. We have no drive left. Our want to has got up and went. Right? There's just nothing, right? We're just beat down. We're defeated. We're destroyed. And we're just sitting here in our own little old pool of Bethesda tears with our eyes closed and no vision. And we're halt, meaning there's no movement to the church, right? We've just become stagnant. And you know what happens when it becomes stagnant. We've talked about it many times. When the church becomes stagnant, then it dies because stagnation, stagnation causes disease and disease causes viruses and viruses cause death when not treated. Amen? So the good news of this story is you may be stagnant, but there's hope if you're still breathing. God can heal you. He can give you, right, that, that virus, that, that uh, antidote to the virus. It's the Holy Ghost, right? It's His Spirit. Okay, but that's kind of what He sees. Jesus walks in the sheep's gate where the sheep should be. And his presence moves in a church, right? We're all praying, oh God, please move, right? And the sheep, the shepherd walks in the gate. He comes into our churches or he comes into our houses and his presence is there. But we're so blind. We got our eyes closed and we can't, we don't have vision. And we can't even see that Jesus has arrived, right? When the water begins to stir, when he begins to stir in your life and he begins to stir in your church because we got our eyes closed and because we just have all the energy sucked out of us and because we have no vitality left or halt, we just don't even see him. And we don't have the energy to reach out to him and to start again. Is that right? We just, we just can't get ourselves to that place. So this is what Jesus saw when he walks here in through the sheep's gate. And he approaches the pool of Bethesda and, and he sees all these people laying out there. And it had to be heartbreaking to Jesus. Because he knew that every one of them were powerful in, in themselves because God created them. They were powerful, but here they were. Every one of them just laying there waiting on God to move, right? Waiting on God to move. Oh, God, we need to move, Lord. Oh, God, if you don't move soon, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, God, we just got to have a move. You know what Jesus is simply saying to his Father? Oh, God, if they don't move soon. Amen? Oh, God, if they don't move soon. 
Lord, Father, I'm concerned about them because if they don't move, they're just going to wither away. If they don't move, I don't know what's going to happen, right? We're waiting on him, but he's waiting on us. So here they are, halt, blind, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. <laughs> Lord Jesus, welfare Jesus. Come on, Lord. Come on, God. You know I'm about all out. I, I, need, I need you to move, Lord, now. I need you to move. I need you to move. You know, some people, some people just, misery loves company. You ever notice that? Some people, like a lot of these people, this man laid there for 37 or 38 years. We'll read it in a minute. He was there a long time. And every, every day he went out there just waiting on the water to move. Now, you've heard me preach before. If I've been laying there for 37 or 38 years and I really wanted to get in the water, I think I could have gotten in the water by now. Amen? I think you could have too. Some people just love, misery loves company. Some people just love the drama. Some people just want to be there, right, just to say, I'm present, God. Amen? I'm present. I'm waiting on you to move, God. I was there. But yet when God moves, they don't want to make any effort to get there. Okay? And that's what I see sometimes in people's lives. They want you, they want to say, I'm in every Zoom meeting. I watch you every day live on Facebook. Well, you know, I read my Bible about it every day. And I'm, I'm, waiting on, I'm waiting on the Lord to move here in my situation. But God's moving all the time. But because we're halt, because we've stopped forward motion, and because we're, our vision is, is gone, right, because our courage is gone, we're withered away, and we know God's there, but we just can't help ourselves. We just can't. I'll catch him next time. Amen? I'll get him next time. I'll get him next time. I'll get him next time. Laziness, guys. Is, is, you know, if, if, it's just not a good thing, spiritually speaking, in the, in the spiritual realm. Spiritual laziness is devastating, okay? When God moves, we need to reach in and move with Him. So here they were waiting for the moving of the water. And He goes on to explain that for when an angel would go down at a certain season into the pool, and he would trouble or stir the water, and whosoever then first after troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease they had. Whoever got in there first after the troubling of the water. And a certain man, it says here, a certain man was there, which had an, an infirmity for 38 years. There we go. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had laid there for quite some time, for a long time, in this same situation, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, y'all know what I've preached on this before, and I'm going to say it one more time. I think Jesus meant this more as a statement than a question. I think Jesus looked at him and said, do you really want to be made whole? I mean, seriously. You've been laying here for 38 years. I have been answering your prayers, and I've been stirring the water, and you have yet to get in the water. Amen? You've yet to get in there. Look, church, listen to me. If you're a church, God has sent pastors your way that could help you. But instead of you getting with them, you, picked, you pushed against them and you made them leave. And then you turn around and say to God, send me somebody to help this church grow. Amen? God keeps sending man or woman, woman after woman, man after man into your church services to help you. And all we do is stand against them when they say, we got to move forward. The only way you're going to get your church to grow is to move forward in Christ. You've got to have vision, and you've got to have purpose, and you've got to get to the water. Amen? You've got to get to the Holy Ghost. You've got to get to the presence of God, and you can't get to the presence of God sitting in the pew. Amen? You have got to go with God. You've got to start trusting God. Take that money you got in the bank and invest it in people. That's why they give it. 
Tithes and offerings, guys, church, listen to me, is not intended to put in a bank account and draw interest and put it in some, in some CD or put it in some stock that you could grow God's money. God don't need the help, amen? He don't need the bank accounts. God don't need the stock market. God needs you and I to trust and believe in him and take the money that he bring into the storehouse and use it for the kingdom of God. Amen? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be good stewards. we got to keep what we know is, 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 is the right thing to do to make the church function. But look, I pay my tithes, and hopefully you pay your tithes to go out into the ministry. Look, them, the, the two sweet folks that donated $1,000 to, to research, they didn't intend for us to put that in some CD and use it 10 years from now. They want to invest in some young person's life today. Amen? That somebody saved. Jesus didn't say, right, that tomorrow is the day of, of salvation. He didn't say six months from now is the day of salvation. He didn't say invest in 10 years from now is going to be the day of salvation. What did Jesus say? Today is the day of salvation. So you got to invest in God's people if you want God to send his people. Amen. Why would he send people somewhere that they can't be fed? Amen. Why would God send people somewhere that are starving? Why would he send them to a, a buffet table that has no food on it? He wouldn't do that. You know where God's sending in people that you and I are asking for that we're just hoping he'll send to us so our churches will grow? He's sending them to churches that are investing. He's sending them to churches that are feeding the people. And I'm not just talking about good preaching. I'm not just talking about good teaching. I'm talking about investing in their lives and in their hearts with everything that they've got. Amen? Everything. Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, all of it. we got to invest. Amen? Invest. And not just churches, but us as individuals. We have to do the same thing. Why is God going to entrust you or I with a tremendous blessing when he knows all we're going to do is waste it? Amen? We're sitting back saying, God, please send me some money so I can feed my family. Okay? So, the coronavirus comes along. He touches the leadership of this country. They say, we're going to give you $1,200 per adult. We're going to give you an additional $500 for every uh, dependent that you have in the house that's under a certain age, right? So if you got two parents there, you got $2,400. got two kids there, you got an additional $1,000, something like that. I might be a little off on my money, right? So now we're looking at $3,400 that God has just sent to you to help you feed your family. But instead, we take that money and we buy alcohol with it. We take that money and, and we buy lottery tickets with it. We take that money and we spend it on, uh, um, I need a new game for my, for, my, for my PlayStation. And that's a whole other message. If you're 40 years old, still playing games, and you ain't feeding your family, you better talk to Jesus about that. Amen? But we're going to take that stuff and we're going to use it to, to do this with it. We're going to take... We're going to take that money and we're going, to, we're going to go buy us a new bass boat. We're going to take that money and we're going to buy us a new TV. But now you just ask God to send you money to help you feed your family and you're wasting it. Amen? So why would God, right, answer our prayers? Why is he going to send money into somewhere that's not going to invest it properly? You see what I'm saying? We cannot, we don't have time to sit there and just be halt, stagnant, with no vision and no desire, and say, Lord, bless me. I love you, Lord. You know I'm doing all these things. Come on now, Lord, bless me. And he keeps sending those blessings, and we keep squandering them. And then we keep saying to God, oh, God, you don't love me no more. You ain't helping me. <laughs> 
You ain't helping me, God. You're not helping me. I challenge every one of you to go back to saying that. If you've said that, go back and start thinking about the blessings that God sent into your life that you've squandered, you didn't pay attention to. I promise you, you're going to find them. Amen? You're going to find them because he does. God blesses us. But we've got to get ourselves together here, guys, as individuals and as churches and quit using Jesus as a welfare check. Amen. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew he was there, he said, do you really want to be made, homie? I mean, are you serious about your situation? Are you really serious about it? Do you really want, do you really want your family straightened out? Do you really, do you really, really, really want your church to grow? I mean, do you really want people in your church? Because last time I sent somebody to your church, you said, hmm, we don't like them. They don't look like us. So then you ran them off. And you prayed again, and then I sent somebody else into you, and you said, whew, I don't like them. They stink a little better. You know what? I don't like them either because whatever it might be, right? So do you really want your church to grow? Because if you really want your church to grow, he's going to send you prostitutes. He's going to send you drug addicts. He's going to send you alcoholics. He's going to send you people who don't have jobs. He's going to send you people whose hearts are broken, their homes are broken, their lives are broken. He's going to send you broken people. He's not going to send you people that's already saved all the time from other churches that can just jump right in there. Now, he can if he wants to, and he does at times, but Jesus is going to send you those that need him. Okay, so, that, so if you really want him to bless your church, get ready for what's coming. And if you really want God to bless your situation, he's going to send you some things that's going to hurt your feelings. Okay, because again, there's some things got to get straightened out in your life before you can ever receive blessings. So do you really want to be made whole? Do you really want to be that way? Verse 7 said, the impotent man answered him, said this. Can't you just see the haltness, the blindness, and the witheringness here? Just this broken spirit, right? Just this, he just giving up, right? He said, sir, first of all, he didn't even recognize Jesus as the son of God. Amen? Some churches have done forgot about Jesus, amen, and it's all about them. They done forgot about him, and some of us have done the same thing. Sir, he said, <laughs> oh, I see my mama hitting me in the mouth. That's Jesus. That ain't sir. That's the son of God. I have no man, he said. I ain't got anybody. There again, he's trusting man and not God. Churches are trusting man and not God. We as individuals are trusting man and not God, Amen. He said, I ain't got nobody, no man. When the water's troubled to put me into the pool, I ain't got nobody to help me to, to dive in when the spirit begins to move. I ain't got nobody to help me when your presence starts moving. Now, I want you to let that set in a minute. I'm going to finish this passage and come back to it. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. While I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Oh, Lord. Boy, you know, I really want to worship you. <laughs> uh, but I ain't got nobody to help me when the Spirit moves. Now, listen. If you're, if you're an individual and I'm talking to you as an individual or if you're a church and I'm talking to you as a church, you don't need anybody to help you worship God. You don't need anybody to help you, right, receive blessings from God. It's real simple. When you feel the presence of God moving, just dive in. Look, it don't matter if you're first or second or third or fourth or fifth. I believe in this passage of Scripture right here, he just, the angel would move, 
Right? The presence of God moved and said the first one in was one blessed. But I've never read where two or three or four or five or six got in there. What would have happened if two got in? Three got in, four got in, five got in. Right? If God takes the time to send his presence, he will take the time to receive all who want him. Amen? Everybody. The Bible says the first shall be last. Come on, somebody. And what did it say? And the last shall be first. So if you're the first one in, wonderful. It does not hinder the last one in. Because we all can be blessed by God. Amen? Look, the first one in is the first one that recognizes. And if that person recognizes, somebody else is going to recognize and we all should get in. Amen? You've heard me say before, well, you know what? If the water, if the troubling of the water was the real deal about it, then why don't you stir your own water? Amen? He says, stir up the gift of God that's within you. Amen? Stir up the gift of God that's within you. We got to quit waiting on God and start doing our part. Amen? He said, stir it. Amen? How do you do that? Stand up and worship God. Quit sitting there like a, a, a knot on a log. Amen? Man, when the worship team is worshiping, get up and worship God. Amen? Man, when you see God's presence moving and somebody's running around the church, get in line. Amen? Run with them. If somebody starts praising God, start praising Praising God, but I know, well, preacher, I just don't feel like praising him. i just been so beat down, you just don't understand. They're going to come get my house tomorrow. Well, if you praise God, maybe they won't, amen? But maybe they will, but God will have another place for you, right? Praise him, amen? Quit laying beside the, quit laying beside the blessings. That's what this story is all about. The water represents in the Bible, and fire and water and oil represent who? The Holy Ghost. The Spirit of God. Why do we anoint with water? Why do we anoint with oil? Why do we baptize in water? It's the Spirit of God. I don't believe it, preacher. Fine. In the day of Pentecost, in Acts, the Spirit came down as of a fire. When Jesus was baptized in the water, the dove came down. Amen? The Holy Ghost, that Spirit, the anointing of God, when He would anoint preachers and kings and teachers and prophets in, in the Bible, he used the, he used the oil, right, which represented his spirit that began to bless them all, right? So if the water is there, right, we got to get to the blessing. It was already there. Jesus is teaching him, listen, my spirit is here. The water is here. Don't wait on somebody else to get you in it. It's there. Amen. Get close enough to get some of it on you. Amen. 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 We got to get, go get those blessings and quit waiting on God to baptize us in it. Go jump in it. Amen. Jump in it and God will bless. Stir up the gift of God that's within you and God will take care of the rest. Amen. Uh, he said, but when I try, Lord, somebody else beats me down there. And then Jesus said in verse 8, enough's enough, right? Jesus said unto him, rise, get up, take up your bed and walk. Rise is in a capital R here. He said to him, rise, rise, rise. Take up your bed and walk. Get up, right? Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, I'm, I don't know if we'll be able to contain everybody in the building, and you either. That is a capital R, and you heard me say this multiple times. I don't remember much about English, <laughs> but I remember this, that when you have a capital letter, it represents a noun, a specific noun, a proper noun, okay? Meaning it is a, a specific person, place, or thing when it is capitalized, okay? So the word here, rise, in the King James is in a capital letter. I'm going to ask you a question. What caused Jesus to rise in that 
in that tomb. Let me sing you a song. And that same spirit that raised Jesus up will take me home one day. That same spirit. And that same spirit that raised Jesus up will take me home one day. What spirit? The Holy Ghost. Rise. Amen? Rise. That same spirit that rose Jesus up is the same spirit that raised this man up. And it's the same spirit that's going to raise the church up. And it's the same spirit that's going to raise you up. And it's the same spirit that raises me up. Rise. He just simply said, Holy Ghost, fall. Amen? Get on him and help him to rise. Amen? And the Bible says that immediately he took up his bed and he walked. Immediately. So, guys, (laughs) what we must do is just dive into God and let his presence move. And when it moves... Jump into it, and that spirit will get all over you, and it will cause you to get up. Amen? It will cause you and I to get up off of our, onto our spiritual feet and move forward in Christ. We have to have God's presence, and we have to go get it. Amen? It's there for us. The pool was there for the man. He just had to go get it. Right? What you've been asking God for is there. You just got to go get it. You got to go get it. He feeds every bird, but he does not put it in the nest. You got to go get it. Church, you got to go get it. Quit waiting on God to fill your church. Go out and do your part and your church will be filled because God will honor what you're doing. Amen. That's how it works. That's how it works. Oh, goodness. Let me get on down here. I ain't even gotten down to these three parts. Mercy. I'm sorry, y'all. So, blind, as I said to you, the church, I've already talked about it a little bit, so we'll rush through this. The church is... is, uh, is in line two, right? Or the church is blind as well, right here. Instead of the church leading the way and helping others or helping the world, we're wanting the world to help us. I've talked about that, right? Instead of the church being the one to lead the way and help help the world, we're waiting on the world to help the church, and that's backwards. When you're blind, you have no vision. Again, as you, when you're halt, right? There's we just want to lay back and, and we just want to sit back and wait on God. And, and again, when we're withered away, all we want to do is just wait on God. And we're just kind of dying on the vine. And we're just thinking God don't care anymore. And we don't know what we're going to do if, if God don't hurry up and move. We don't know what's going to happen. I think today for all of us that are here, everybody that's watching, I think God's really wanting you and I to grow up, right? He wants us, as I said Wednesday night, to put on our big boy and big girl panties and drawers, whatever you want to call them. He wants, you to, he wants you to grow up, get your little pull-up up, right? And we need to get off the old diapers and start taking care of our own business, amen? We need to start doing those things and stop being so weak in God. It is a travesty when you hear somebody that says they are saved just poor-mouthing and whining and crying when you and I are tapped into Christ, amen? What a sad commentary, When we look at our lives and think our lives are falling apart, amen? Listen to me, saint, child of God. I'm in the boat with you. This is a sad commentary in the world that we live today when God's people, people that proclaim to people on their jobs, proclaim to people in their churches, proclaim to people in Wendy's or in Chick-fil-A or wherever you're at, that I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God. I teach at Gethsemane Church. I preach at Gethsemane Church. I sing at Gethsemane Church. I play a musical instrument at Gethsemane Church. I cut the grass at Gethsemane Church. Whatever you do at Gethsemane Church, and you're telling people, I attend church. I worship God. I accepted Christ. I love the Lord. 
And then right after that, we're talking to them about the fact that we need them to help us pray because our houses are falling apart. Our families are falling apart. You know, my job's just terrible. I ain't got no money. You know, I ain't hardly got any food. I don't know what's going to happen. I've been furloughed. I don't know what's going to happen because I was laid off. You know, I, I got these problems going on. But now you just got through saying to them that you know Jesus. Now listen, this hurts my feelings. God hit me right in the face with this. Okay? And I love you and God loves you. But I got to tell you the truth. The Bible says that he is our provider. Okay? The Bible says that he shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. He said, I'm going to take care of you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If I be for you, he said, who can be against you? He said, what I put together, my son and you, let nobody put asunder. He said, weapons formed against you, might, might, they might be formed, but they will not prosper. Is that what he said? That's what he said. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Meaning, he's all over you. He also went so far as to say that an angel of the Lord encamps around those that fear him. So not only am I not going to leave you, but I am going to dispatch an angel, and that angel is going to walk with you every single day. And his job is to protect you from the enemy. He is going to ward off things that you don't even have any idea that are happening. And I'm going to make sure of it because I'm going to be there. Amen? So now I want you to get this picture. You got an angel, let's just say, behind you. The Trinity, right, are one. So if Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, guess who else ain't? God and the Holy Ghost. So I have an angel behind me. I have God in front of me. Let's put him in the front. Okay, we got the Holy Ghost to the left of us and Jesus to the right of us. Now let me ask you a question. Why are we so halt? Why are we so blind? And why are we withering away? Amen? Do you know how you wither away with no moisture, no water? If you and I have Christ in us, you have rivers of living water. Amen? Rivers of living water flowing through your body and through your soul. There's no way a church should wither away. There's no way a Christian should wither away. Amen? But yet we sit there and we tell people, I'm saved, I'm blessed, and I'm a child of God. But then you give them all that stuff that you're going through and everything's falling apart. We have got to get up and we got to dive into Christ again. We got to get into his presence. We can't sit on, what's happening is, yes, I belong here. See, the Jewish people belong there. They were supposed to, they were able to go into Jerusalem. They were able to enter through the sheep's gate. They were able to be at the pool of Bethesda. They had a birthright that allowed them to be in the presence of the king. You and I, if you're saved, you have a right, a birthright to be in the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You have a right to be in his presence, but you have to reach out to him to grab him. Amen? The king may be sitting in front of you, but you got to do what Mary did and reach down and, and touch his feet and anoint his feet and cast your cares upon him and then he will rise to his feet and he will call you blessed. Amen? But you got to do it. Amen? 
you got to do like the woman would do the issue of blood and press through all that junk because you have a right to be at the feet of Jesus Christ. you got to press through that stuff and go get him. Amen? Go get him. You say, yes, preacher, but he left her. No, he didn't. He was in her presence. Amen? Jesus is in your presence. He hasn't left you. Church, he hasn't left you. you got to reach out to him. If your, pastor ain't, if your pastor's not reaching, you reach. Reach. He don't just bless preachers. We're all preachers. We're all high priests. According to the Bible, all of us. If your preacher's not reaching out, if your leadership team's not reaching out, reach out. Reach out to God, and he'll honor that, and he'll bless your church. Pray for your preacher. Pray for your leadership. If they're sitting back and withering away, pray for them. Don't talk about them. Amen? Don't talk about them. Pray for them. And God will bless. Family member, don't talk about your family member. Help them. Pray for them. Amen. Help them and pray for them. That God will change them. And that God will help them. We don't need to be doing The church needs to stand up and be the church. Amen. This is what I see God saying. Church, we need to, people, church, we need to stand, take up our bed and walk. Amen. Go. Take up your bed. Instead of your bed carrying you, you carry your bed. Amen. Did you, did you hear what I said? That is a powerful sentence that gets overlooked. We look at it as a culmination to the story. I want to tell you today it's the beginning of the story. It's not the ending. Just because it's at the bottom doesn't mean it's the end. Okay? We want to read it real If We read all that up here and we go, oh, take it to bed and walk. Well, praise God. The Lord did it. Amen? He didn't have to lay in that bed no more. He said, take up your bed and walk. Why didn't he need to say walk? Why didn't he need to say, hey, get up and walk? But he said, take up your bed. Amen? Take up your bed. In other words, take that bed and get rid of it. Amen? Take up your bed and walk. Get away from that bed. Throw that bed away. Get away from that laziness. Get away from that blindness. Get away from that haltness. Get away from that witherness and stand in the true life that you have in Jesus Christ and move forward in him. There is nothing in Christ that says that we're supposed to lay down. Amen? When he tells us to stand, he says, stand and be still. Amen? He says, look unto God, the author and finisher of your faith. He doesn't say, lay down, lay down, take a break, and look at your salvation. God is all about movement forward, guys. All about movement forward. Take up your bed. Get rid of it. Quit. Get out of that pity party. Get away from all that mess. And God's just simply saying, now you know that ain't right. You know I'm here. You know I'm blessing you. You know the word. Live it. Amen? Trust it. Obey it. Have confidence in it. Don't just speak it. Live it. Amen? Don't just speak the word. Live the word. Have confidence in his word. Look, the worst thing that you and I can ever do is tell somebody what they should do, quote scripture to them, and we don't even do it ourselves. Amen? I'm going to ask our worship team to come when I say that because I'm going to say it one more time. The worst thing we can do as Christians is tell somebody, quote the scripture to them, and tell them what they should do, and we're not even doing it ourselves. Right? Somebody comes to us with an issue and we say, well, you know what the Bible says. And we'll tell them, but all the while in our own selves, we're doing the same thing. Doing the same thing. Churches are telling people all over the world what they need to be doing to get their life right when the church itself needs to repent. Amen? The church needs to repent. The Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation, right? Go back and do your first works. Repent. Unless he removes your candlestick. We've got to get God back in our personal lives. We've got to get God back in our church lives, we got to get him back. Amen. And quit waiting on God. Amen. And start doing our part. And God will do his part. I'm going to close with this. 
If you'd close your eyes when we're going to pray, or you can open your eyes, you can look up, however you want to do it. You don't have to close your eyes to pray. I'm going to give you a passage of Scripture that proves what I just said to you. Some of you are going to quote it before I ever say it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Get up out of that bed. Seek. The Bible said if you seek, you'll find. That's action. If you knock, it shall be opened unto you. That requires action. Right? Come unto me. Requires action. Is that what he said? Reach. Reach. It requires action. Seek ye first. You move first. Ooh, I, need to, I need to have my own translation, don't I? Said the NIV and the message. We have the preacher. Amen? The old fat preacher. What was it? F-P. We call it the F-P-T. The fat preacher translation. <laughs> yep. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. You reach first. Reach first to the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you'll reach out to God first, you'll reach out to his righteousness. Then the Bible says that he'll reach back out to you. All of the things will be added unto you. Seek me first, and then I will. If you seek, I will. Amen? If you seek, I will. That's what God's saying. That's what that passage is. If you seek, I will. You seek, I will. You move, and I'll move. You cry out, I'll answer. Amen. Amen. You message me first, I'll message you back. You text me, I'll text you back. You Snapchat me, I'll Snapchat you back. FaceTime me sometime, Jesus said. You FaceTime me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we humbly approach your throne here today, I thank you, Lord, for your word today. I thank you, Lord, for what you've laid on our hearts. I thank